Welcome to the CL Brown Show. I am your host, CL Brown, sports columnist with the Louisville Courier Journal. Joining me on episode four of the show are Myron Metcalf, a senior writer with ESPN.com and co-host of Sunday Morning with Matt and Myron on ESPN Radio. And I'll have University of Kentucky offensive coordinator Liam Cohen. But first, the segment I call CL Sounds Off. One of my favorite tracks from Key Sweat's debut album, Make It Last Forever, back in 1987, was called Right in a Wrong Way. And I can't think of a better way to summarize Trenton Flowers' exit from Louisville to turn pro and play in the Australian National Basketball League. And all this happened last week, just a week before classes started. There's a right and a wrong way this could have been handled. Now, Flowers, uh, most of you know the story. Um, by most estimation, he was a top 30 player in the class of 2023 after graduating a year early to reclassify. Now, I spoke to several other schools and coaches who were involved in the recruiting process of Flowers. And a few of them told me they didn't see any red flags, but there are a few who did, including one major coach who said he wasn't surprised at all by the news that Flowers was going to Australia this late in the game because he had been warned and actually backed off of recruiting Flowers because he was told Trenton's dad, Travis, was labeled as a quote-on opportunist. If it was really about playing point guard, as Trenton said, that's what the recruiting process is for. Flowers could have signed with another school and another coach that would have let him play there. Feels really about respecting people's time, as Trenton and his dad said they did during the interview with Jeff Lightsey Jr., then Travis Flowers would have stepped in and told his son that he made a commitment to Louisville and he needed to honor that based on the time and investment they made in him. Since he arrived on campus, he's been involved in the practices in their facilities. He's taken part of their weight training regimen. They were trying to build him up. They believed in him. They believed what he could, what his potential was, what he could become in this program. And now that's all for naught. So, yeah, Keith Sweat was correct. There's a right and a wrong way. And unfortunately for the Flowers, they got it all wrong. And now joining us on the CL Brown show, I have with me Myron Medcalf. Myron, my former colleague, he's been at ESPN for 12 years. And currently you can catch him also on ESPN radio doing the Sunday mornings with Matt and Myron that runs from 10 a.m. to 1 p.m. Eastern. Myron, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, man. Always uh, love to hang out with you, man. <laughs> Hey, well, we'll we'll get right into it. I, I wanted to kind of switch some gears. I've been talking a lot of football and obviously leading up to the season, but we had some basketball news break with Trenton Flowers' decision to go to Australia and not in well, not enroll at at Louisville. And I just want to kind of get your take on what this means, the bigger picture for Kenny Payne, especially coming off of you know, four and 28 year that was, was dismal by many, many different standards. Yeah. I mean, I feel like two things can be true. I am an advocate of athletes having the ability to do whatever is best for their careers. You know, the NIL world 
has sort of exposed the reality that these young athletes have been valuable from the beginning, but they're just now capitalizing on that. So, so in a world where entire schools have transferred to other conferences and coaches leave after promising their recruiting classes that they'll be there, you know, I don't do get too caught up in people making decisions that are best for them, even if it can inconvenience people, right? So, so Trent Flowers has the right and the ability to play in Australia if he thinks that's better for him to get ready for the NBA. That's true. But it can also be true that this really stinks for Kenny Payne. And I can understand how, you know, fans of the school would feel like this is unfair because it's one thing, you know, CL, if a guy commits, decommits. It's even one thing if a dude, before he's on campus, decides to leave. Or he gets to campus and he leaves after a couple of days, weeks. Um, but to be there from, I believe, late May till now, that's a situation you don't see too often. You know what I mean? So I, I can see both sides. If this is really better for Trent Flowers, this is really better for his career, it's hard for me to say don't do something that ultimately is the best thing for you, especially when you're talking about some teenager, man, where it's like you don't know necessarily what's best. You know, you, you're, you're guessing in a lot of ways, you know? Um, and it's hard to kind of know when you have all these opportunities coming at you. But also for Kenny Payne, you're like, man, I know they put in the work. You know, I, I know they did everything they could. And why wouldn't you feel comfortable about him anchoring your recruiting class when he was on campus? As I understand it, he was doing things in the community. So you're just sort of like, man, where, where did this, not a disconnect, but why the sudden change? So that's kind of how I feel, man. It's, it's, I see both sides of it. I think two things can be true. Maybe for Flowers, this is what he needed, but it also is feels unfair to Kenny Payne and his yeah. team. Yeah, it's it's going to be interesting. Uh, I think that the way it went down just doesn't set well with me. I, I agree with what you're saying in terms of power, player empowerment, and and them being able to move freely just as coaches do and everybody else uh, and, and whole schools moving conferences, mm-hmm. but it just, <laughs> it just yeah. don't sit well with me the way it came about. It, it was really like, I felt like his, his dad was looking for the best deal, like 24 seven mm. looking for the best deal. And, you know, it's, it's kind of the bride coming down the aisle, but, she didn't make it to the altar. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, that's the thing is like, you know, it, it's almost like she was at the altar <laughs> and then just, and just walked off. You know, that's the thing. That's why I'm always like careful. I've seen some of the interviews with the dad. My thing is, I hope this is Flowers' decision. You know, oh, yeah. anytime a young person makes a decision like this and there's a sudden change, you know, there are a lot of people in the background who are trying to help him make that decision, which is not easy to do. So my hope is that this is really what he wanted to do. And we don't find out years from now, months from now, maybe days from now, that there was other stuff at, at play. You know, and I, you know, to go to Australia, 
if you're trying to make some money, um, get ready for the NBA. I can understand that. If it's legitimately he wanted to play point guard and he didn't think he'd get the opportunity uh, with Kenny Payne, maybe, but it's hard for me to imagine Kenny Payne holding a six foot eight NBA prospect back from his full capabilities, especially since Kenny's coached a lot of NBA players, future NBA players, you know? That's that's so, what the question, a million dollar question to me though. I, I don't think he's a point guard. You know what I mean? Like I, I yeah, he can handle the ball, yes, and he could probably in certain situations initiate an offense, but in terms of running the team, I I that's not what I see, but who am I? The timing of everything that happened with Trent Flowers, there was also a, a, another move that was made the same day down the road in Lexington, Kentucky. They put out the release that this seven foot two uh, center from Croatia, Zonimir Ivicic. Uh, I'm probably going to have to work on that pronunciation, but we all um, have to work on it. <laughs> <laughs> he's officially signed and and will be at UK. I think it's kind of. It almost has a rich get richer feel because at the beginning of June, it was like all Cal had was freshmen. And it was like, you know, is Antonio Reeves going to come back? They need some veterans on this team. There's, you know, this isn't 2012. They're not just going to win with a freshman lineup. And it's like he pulled the rabbit out of his hat. I mean, no one could have predicted West Virginia and Bob Huggins you know, everything that happened there and him uh, resigning or being forced out, whichever side you believe. Um, And, and being able to get uh, uh, Mitchell on the team. So, you know, how do you view this roster now with UK and what, what Cal has at his disposal? It just always seems to work out for Cal, you know, I mean, like even when you think it's not working out for Cal, <laughs> it just seems to fall fall in place. At the same time, you know, for the last decade almost, what has that led to? You know, it's led to a lot of missed expectations. Um, the ceiling's been pretty high, but but what do you have beyond that? So uh, I think it's going to matter kind of how it all comes together. But you get Mitchell, you know, uh, Justin Edwards, Antonio Reeves. Uh, you know, we were talking about DJ Wagner for so long, you know, as like the the guy who would have to lead this team to whatever they were going to do this year. And now it feels like so much pressure is off of him and the other freshmen in that class as well. You got a veteran, Antonio Reeves coming back, great three-point shooter, average 14, I think, points a game. He's back because he's trying to prove he's the guy. And we know college basketball, even in the one-and-done era, is a veteran's game. You know, you got Mitchell transferred over from West Virginia because of that situation. The big seven-footer that everybody says is a pro. Um, so it looks like it's all there for 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 Cal to make another Final Four run. We've been saying that since 2015. Yeah, I think it's going to be a fascinating year for them because I, I when, when that first few years, once he got to Kentucky, like the first five years where it was just like, you know, gangbusters and wow. Final Fours and, you know, the 2012 national title and the lottery was all Kentucky. It felt like the NBA lottery. Um, but now it's like grumblings from the family. Like, I, I I didn't think he would ever get a point after those first five years that 
we would be having people questioning now, you know, is he still the right guy here? And do, do we need to turn the page on the Calipari chapter? They are definitely having those conversations, but his contract makes it really difficult to do anything. The, the tens of millions of dollars they would owe him if they even thought about getting rid of him it makes that so unlikely. And again, if you're Kentucky, ultimately you got to go, who's going to put us in position like this every year to have a chance? Yeah. You know, you got to recruit the talent and Cal does that. But I do wonder if there's a world where let's say they miss expectations this year. Does Cal want to keep doing it? I mean, th- does Cal want to be anywhere but where he's beloved? Because I think that's kind of been the benefit of the last 15 to 20 years of his career. Like he's been beloved at Memphis, you know, the UMass situation happened. People loved him when he came to UMass people. I mean, at, at Memphis, people loved him in Kentucky. So can you handle not being that? Um, that's going to be the ultimate question. I think for Cal, if they miss expectations, but there's so much talent on this roster where you're like, if they get in, you know, that's still going to be a really difficult team, I think, to deal with if everybody stays healthy. Yeah, yeah. Well, we could talk college basketball all day. <laughs> we'll have to end it here, but definitely would like to get you back on the show when it's closer to uh, basketball tip-off. Anytime, man. Let me know. All right. Appreciate you being on, Myron. All right. Thanks, you I have with me today... University of Kentucky Offensive Coordinator Liam Cohen. Liam, welcome to the C.L. Brown Show. Appreciate you coming on with me. C.L., thanks for having me on, man. I really appreciate it, brother. So uh, I want to start with the fact that you were in L.A. with the Rams. You came to coach Kentucky back in 2021. Then you went back to L.A. Now you're back at U.K. What, what? Yep. What are the comparisons between Lexington and Los Angeles in terms of uh, what what does what does Lexington have that L.A. doesn't have? I think at the end of the day, um, the people really. I mean, I loved where we lived in, in Thousand Oaks, California. You know, we weren't right in L.A. We were in the suburbs of of uh, really Ventura County and. Um, Malibu is 25 minutes away. It, it was some, it was beautiful, nice. right? <laughs> yeah. 70, 75 and sunny most days. And, um, but I grew up in a small state. I grew up in Rhode Island, but I grew up in a football family. My dad was a football coach. My grandfather was a football coach. Both were players themselves. <clears throat> and I always wanted to be somewhere that football and, and athletics in general mattered, you know, mattered to everybody. Um, because of the impact that it can have on a community. And that's just not the case, you know, in, in Thousand Oaks, California. And the Rams organization is top notch, the coaching staff, the leadership, the players, none of that was any of the issue. But when you grow up wanting to be around football and you, then you're in it for a year at a place like Lexington, well, you start to miss some of those things and some of the things that, um, come along with the job um that that was something we missed as a family 
Uh, and kind of piggybacking off of that, I, I know, I think at your initial press conference, uh, when, when your return was announced, you mentioned just the relationships that you built in college yeah. uh, with the kids and everything. What what are kind of like and, and I and I heard you mention before, too, that you've already had some of some of the guys have already been over to your house and that kind of yeah. thing. What are, what are kind of the differences like in, in the NFL? I'm I'm assuming that people have more of their own yeah not agendas but their own lives and they kind of just yeah. go their separate ways after after you know they leave the facility right. yeah i was fortunate enough to this past year work with you know a pros pro and matthew stafford and we we became very close but but it's more of a friendship and that was something and still is something that um I appreciate very much and, and respect our relationship and friendship and same with my wife and his wife. And, but he's got four little girls of his own and there's just, it, there's not enough time for, um, impact, right? Like uh, my son, I grew up around football. My dad grew up around the game. I want my son to be impacted by these kids, these people. And it's just not the same atmosphere to, you know, have the kids in the building and have them come by the facility. It's a place of business and it's, that's respected. But Matthew didn't need me. He would probably tell you he respected our friendship and relationship. And I loved coaching him. I learned so much from him, but he doesn't need me in life. And that's something at 37 years old, I, I still want as in my life is to be impactful with uh, 18 to 22 year, 17 to 22 year old kids that are on their path and on their way in life. And um, that was something I missed. Yeah. Well, you, you mentioned you, you have a, a toddler about to, about to be the terrible twos um, yeah. <laughs> young son. What's, yeah. what's more demanding? What's harder on your home life? The, the NFL coaching schedule or, or college? There's a give and take there. Uh, CL because the season the NFL season obviously runs longer I mean you start training camp the last week of July and then I mean shoot you go all the way through the playoffs you're talking mid to late January and um, but then you have time off and the off season in the NFL is arguably the best time to be an NFL coach um, the time's great but it, when you're in the building, those are long hours now. It's 5 a.m. till 10, 11 p.m. And that's just not the case here. Meetings in the NFL in a, in a season start at 8 a.m. or 7.30, 8 a.m. with the players. We don't see our players here in college until 2 o'clock, 2.30. So you don't have to be in at 5 a.m. You can be if you want, but you don't have to be. And the recruiting part, obviously, being on the road, you're you're three quarters coach, you're a quarter sales rep. And a lot of guys, it's half and half. Mm -hmm. So that part in the college game is a little bit more demanding in terms of getting on the road and doing all that. But Coach Stoops is, you know, fantastic when it comes to like, don't just go on the road to go on the road, make sure there's a purpose because he does want me to spend time with my family, just like he does all of our other coaches. You you mentioned in an earlier press conference kind of the need to simplify sometime and, yeah. and not have them thinking about too many things at one time. 
do you still kind of do you still coach the kids at UK the same way that you would you yeah. know the NFL guys? Because yeah, frankly, a lot of them want to play under you because right. of your NFL. So yeah, how do you yeah. balance that? The standard at which we operate and that we want the players and coaches and staff on the offensive side of the ball to operate is NFL level is we watch the NFL cutups when we install a play, you know, I'm not just creating a lot of these plays. Like we're, these are things that I've probably had success or done with in the national football league. So that helps the guys want to do it that way. But also like I mentioned, the meetings start in the NFL at 8 a.m. Then you have another meet. You'll have three meetings and a walkthrough in the National Football League before you step foot on the practice field. Well, here at Kentucky, we have an hour and 15-minute meeting, and then we're on the practice field. So you just can't do it exactly the same. It's just it's not reasonable. And so when you look at the standard of how fundamentals, technique, route running, detail, that is all what we want to be NFL level there. But the volume of plays, the verbiage, um, the, the detail of each play, um, maybe it's not quite to that same exact level, but it's definitely the standard that we are uh, pushing for here. That's what we're looking to try to get accomplished. Yeah, getting to the the playbook itself, I think you you had a quote before where you said something to the effect of you copied the Rams playbook and pasted a UK logo on it. Is is yep. that what we can expect? Yeah. Yeah, very much so. I mean, we'll have a lot of you know, same core principles and philosophies that we had here in in 2021 and and it's always been when I first got the job here in 21, I took the Rams playbook and we truly just put a new logo on it. And then when we got here as a staff, dove into the playbook and dove into the information to try to, all right, this is a play, we, a concept we, we know we want to run. Well, how many different ways is it actually tangible for us to do that in? And what's the verbiage? Do we want to cut the verbiage? Do we get code words for the plays? Trying to make it as simple as possible for these guys to learn because of the time constraints that we have. It's not because they don't have the capacity or can handle it. It's truly time constraints. And so it is a copy paste, but this is also a different game. It's a different league. It's a different game. And so it, it can't be truly copy paste. You have to have some college, if you will, um, schemes, some things to take advantage of, the boundary, unbalanced, tackle over, things like that that you can't do in the NFL. It's illegal. Um, well, you can do in college football, and you've got to be able to take advantage of those things. What do you take from from you know, that season in 2021 at UK that that in terms of just kind of the coaching aspect of it, that that you feel like works and you're you're bringing into this this new, totally, completely different unit. Yeah, I mean, we were a different team two years ago and then I go away and you learn 
learn through adversity because we obviously struggled last year uh, with the Rams and you learn uh, each team is this new t- is its own entity. And so each, each player from team to team changes. And although you may have carryover, that player is, e- is evolving. And so Eli Cox and Kenneth Orsi, guys that were on this unit, Brendan Bates that were on this team years ago, two years ago when I was here, well, they have a better feel for like how I coach and who I am, but I don't coach them exactly the same as I coached them two years ago. They've evolved. And so each unit, each team, each player is different. And the way that we coached the 2021 team and the way we called plays, the way we executed, that's not going to be like just a carbon copy. I hope that we have the same success that we had in 21. That's the goal. That's the standard. But ultimately, it's every team's its own entity, and you have to work through that and get to the core of who we're going to be and where we're headed. So um, it's just being having a feel for the guys, and it's not my way or the highway. It's how do I, as a coach, evolve to these players while upholding the standard that we want to play with here at Kentucky, but that's going to look different year in and year out. You, you mentioned Will Levis before um obviously you have a a new transfer and Devin Leary coming in to play quarterback what what has impressed you about Devin you know just in this early part of working with him before the actual games he's um man Devin he's an impressive kid man he is extremely mature um very introspective in a lot of ways where he, he doesn't need to talk a ton in order to evaluate situations and be, um, you know, seeing how people handle everything. He, he's, he's on the quieter side in that way, but the players love him because he works his tail off. He competes his tail off and um, man, he's, he's worked so hard. Talk about a guy who's never taken a snap under the center really over the last few years you know, we're asking him to do things that he has not done in a long time, maybe since he was a little kid. And so that's, that's challenging when, especially when you've had success at a place doing something a certain way, he's been so vulnerable in terms of being challenged and being challenged on a day-to-day basis. He made one of the best throws yesterday in practice that I've seen at the college level in a while. And it was an absolute dot. A ball, he is extremely talented. Arm talent, uh, mentally very talented. So everybody thinks he's just like kind of this little gamer, man. He practices well, he competes, he prepares. And man, he's got a he's got a rip on him. He's got a hose. He's extremely accurate. And um, like that throw yesterday he made, I told him, I said, wow, that's one of the most impressive throws you've made I've seen somebody make. But we were supposed to give a poke action, like a little play action fake. And he forgot to do that. So my immediate reaction is, dude, that's the best throw, one of the best throws I've ever seen. But we've got to remember we've got a fake here. And we got to play action fake. We got to use that. 
So even when he does do things fantastic, he's still open to learning and still open. Most kids would look at you like, man, screw the fake. I just, I just threw a dot, but that's not his mindset. That's not how he is. And um, that makes it really fun to coach him. Can can you give me a little bit more description on that throw? What what kind of like what kind of route was he was he throwing yeah. to? Him? It was an out and up. The ball was on the right hash, and it was an out and up to Dane Key on the left sideline. And so he th- he threw this ball from outside the right hash because he had to move slightly in the pocket. He throws the ball from outside the hash, and it lands. Let me see. Two yards from the sideline on the opposite sideline. And let's see how many yards. Hold on. Five. It was like almost 40. It was like 42 yards, wow. basically, from the outside the right hash to two yards or a yard from the out of bounds on the left sideline. Mm. 40 yards, like on a rope. And it hit Dane right in the head. So th- there's not a ton of guys making that throw. Yeah. And that's a big throw. Was that live too? And it's like, not like he needed 11 11? Oh, yeah. oh, 11 on 11. Okay. Wow. Yep. I mean, it is. This was a. He had to move to his right, makes an unbelievable throw. I mean, it is as perfect as it gets, but there's still meat on the bone. You know, he can still make it better. And that's what I love about the kid is that that's all he wants to do is improve day to day. And it it showed up in a big way yesterday, man. He had a great practice. So uh, in coming back to UK, you you also like does Coach Stoops essentially give you full autonomy of the offense in terms of the play calling and everything that goes with it? Well, Coach is so good that way in terms of trusting his coaches in general and not just me, right? He 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 trusts his coaches to coach and he knows when it doesn't look right. He knows when it's when things aren't going well. And he is so good on game day in terms of communicating, hey, man, you got four downs here. Maybe think about a run, right? Or, hey, Liam, we're going to probably take a field goal. Let's be safe with this call. That That's really where he comes into play on game day is, um, all right, hey, this is how many timeouts we have. Like, he, he is so good on the headset on Saturdays, at least in my first season here, that made my transition for to being a first-time play caller in the SEC um, very smooth. Never chaos, never, um, you know, MNFing you for a play call. All I ever heard was a guy just trying to win and help in any way that he could. He sees the game so well. I mean, he, he doesn't have to watch something more than once to be able to see really what happened. He, he's a defensive backs coach by trade, obviously. So from a defensive backs coach and a and I'm a quarterback coach, we see things differently because you're seeing it from the back end. Like you're seeing it from the same angle, just flipped. And so that's been, been really fun to be around somebody that I learned from every day from a defensive standpoint 
and also just his overall, um, you know, handling of game day. I, I thought that was was great. Well, Devin Leary said that when he talked to Will Levis uh, about playing for you, Will Levis referred you referred to you as a quarterback's dream. And Devin Leary echoed those sentiments when I interviewed him that so far it's it's been that way. So (laughs) hopefully the dream can continue for you, coach. Totally. Totally. I I appreciate it. I appreciate you being on. Thank you very much. Thanks for your time, bro. I appreciate you, man. That'll do it for episode four of the CL Brown show. I thank you for listening. And if you feel so inclined, please click on those subscribe buttons so you will automatically have the podcast in your feed. Please leave some reviews, five star only. Let's spread some love in this world because we got enough hate going on. And join me back next week when we will be leading into week one of the college football season we will be in game mode definitely everybody get your game face on thanks again for listening 